Hey, uh, turn to Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 2, uh, verses 4 through 9. I want to read that passage. And uh, the title of the message today is God Has Shed His Grace on America. I guess you could gather that from the video we showed because God has shown his grace upon us. And if we look at uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, I want you to hear what God has to say. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us all sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, this week we are celebrating the 4th of July. You know, my wife is always excited about the 4th of July because everybody in the nation celebrates her birthday because she's a real firecracker. She's born on the 4th. <laughs> and I'm excited because, once again, she'll be older than me until September. And, you know, you should always do what your young people, you should always do what your folks tell you. You really should. And my dad told me marry an older woman. And I said, Dad, why? He said, don't leave him with all that insurance money. So anyway, <laughs> I married Dorothy, and she is the love of my life. And I have a lot of fun from July to September, and then I'm the old man again. So anyway, but this week as a nation, as a nation we celebrate 242 years since the signage of the Declaration of Independence. The signing of the Declaration became the, well, really what it was, it was our declaration that we were seeking our independence, and it began our separation from British rule. But you know, anything that's worthwhile comes for a cost. If it don't cost you something, it's not worthwhile. Your salvation came with a cost. Not to you, but to Jesus Christ. And this nation that we serve here and that we live in and we had the privilege of being in America. And folks, I'm going to get it across today. If I can't get this across to you, I have failed. You are blessed to live in this country. You're blessed. Now, we have a lot of problems, and we're going to address some of those this morning. And I'm going to share with you in my conclusion the major problem that we have that has come about in the last 25, 30 years. For the first 200 years of, this, of the existence of this nation, we didn't have this. But we have it now, and I'm going to tell you what the problem is. And hopefully we, as a church, can help solve it. So don't, don't, don't be leaving on me. But here's the thing. Of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence, 12 fought in battles as members of the state militia. Five were captured and imprisoned during the Revolutionary War. 17 lost property as a result of British raids on their homes. Five lost their fortunes in helping fund the Continental Army and the militia. Benjamin Franklin was the oldest signer of the Declaration of Independence. And when he signed it, he told that group of men, we better all hang together or we're all going to hang separately. Now, the reason, has it, have any of y'all lately looked at the Declaration of Independence? What's the largest signature? John Hancock. 
You know, when I, as a young man, when I used to laugh, I thought, man, he had a big signature. He, he must have been half blind. But in doing my research, I found out that he signed that that way because King George had put a 500-pound reward on him. And so when he signed it, he signed it in large letters. So when King George read the declaration, he wouldn't need his glasses. And he would double the reward on John Hancock. Folks, what John Hancock was saying is, in your eye, King George. He said, do your best. I'm not afraid of you. And he showed that, that he was not afraid by his signature. Now, I want you to remember, and we forget this. When the first settlers came to America, as I stumble over this cord, they came for religion, religious freedom. They came not for freedom of speech. Now, they wanted freedom of speech, but what they really wanted was the freedom to worship God without government interference. Ladies and gentlemen, today, both the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion is under attack. And if you don't think so, just listen to the news. Just listen to the way people talk. America today is under attack. Now, those who came realized that they were blessed to be here. The first settlers came from the old world. We call it the old world because it had been there for a long time. From all the difficulties the old world was, was having. And they came here to this land that was rich, had soil that would grow good crops, had huge trees where they could build their houses. You know, I was thinking about this week, and I thought, this truly is a land of milk and honey. God gave them a land where they could see the ills of the old world and hopefully build a better world. You know, it always amazes me that people come here in these modern times and they're running from all kinds of difficulty and they come to America and what they want to do is they want to set up the same thing they ran from. You know, I admire Dr. Mercer. For years, Dr. Mercer and I did the Discover, we call it Discover First class. We did, him and I did it for years. And what I always reminded, what I always admired about him is in that class, he'd stand up and we'd have people who were thinking about joining the church and we want them to join the church. Do we want people to join the East Campus? Absolutely. We want them. Please come. But Dr. Mercer said, would say to the men and women and children there, we're glad you're here. We want you to come and be part of this fellowship. We want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you need to remember, when you come, you're joining us. We're not joining you. We're an evangelistic, God-fearing, God-singing, preaching the cars and blood of Christ. Don't come in here and try and change us. You know, I thought about that this week. And I remember reading years ago a speech 
the Theodore Roosevelt priest. And I'm going to paraphrase. I may not get it exactly right. But on that occasion, here's what he said. He quoted what was on the Statue of Liberty. Liberty. Send us your tired. Send us your poor. Send us your persecuted. We want you to come. But when you come, you're no longer German. You're no longer French. You're no longer Brazilian. You're, not, you know, you're no longer this or that. You're Americans. Learn our language and assimilate into our culture because you're Americans. Folks, I'm proud to be, be an American. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, at the end of my conclusion, I'm going to share something with you. But we have freedom today not because of war, not because the Declaration of Independence, but because we serve a God that has shed his grace on us as a nation. So today, in the next few minutes, I want to share with you we are free because of God's grace and God's mercy. That's the only reason we're free. We are so blessed today to be called an American because our nation was founded on the principles of God's word. We are a nation today because of God's grace. Ladies and gentlemen, I thought about this even this morning as I was eating breakfast. The foundation of this nation was based on scripture, on, was based on the Judeo-Christian ethic. But as I sat there and ate my oatmeal, I got thinking, in my lifetime, in the last 50, 60 years, we have moved from the Judeo-Christian ethic where all people had dignity, where all people had worth, where all people could be all that they could be if they were willing to work. And we have moved from a Judeo-Christian ethic in this paradigm shift to a secular humanistic foundation. Back in 1970, early 80s, Dr. Tim LaHaye wrote a book called The Battle for the Mind. I read that book not once but twice. And in that, he predicted a shift in America if we kept going in the direction we were going. Now, at that time, we were still on Judeo-Christian ethic. But in that book, he laid out the humanistic manifesto and the plan of those who follow that, the secular humanists. Their plan was to get a hold of the media. Their plan was to get a hold of higher education. Their plan was to get hold of the entertainment industry. And they felt like they could change America. And I laughed at that book. I was telling our pastor in a meeting last week that when I used to go out 40, 45 years ago and talk to somebody, they may not have been a Christian, but they had a biblical background. They knew scripture. Maybe mama and daddy read it to them. Maybe grandmommy read it to them. So you didn't have to lay a platform to tell them how to be saved because they knew. They, because of the Judeo-Christian ethic. 
But I told the pastor today, it's a whole new world. When you talk to somebody, they have no clue what the Bible has to say. So you have to lay and teach a whole foundation of the, of the biblical mandate before people can recognize that they're lost. Because they don't, you know, under the sake of humanistic concept, nobody fails. Man is good, doesn't deserve any real punishment. There's no consequences. That's where we are today. I transgress. Let me, let me talk to you a few minutes about God's grace. The word grace is found in the King James Bible 159 times. In the Old Testament and New Testament, it means the same thing. It means the unmerited favor of God, the unearned favor of God on a sinful humanity. God shed his grace on America 242 years ago, and he is still shedding it upon us today. In spite of all the things going on, he's still, we still are living under the grace of God. Praise God. You know the only thing, you know the only thing right now, according to Scripture, that's holding back society from going into great depravity? Ladies and gentlemen, it's the church. We're still the light of the world. We're still the salt of the earth. God is holding back his hand because of the church. But there's going to come a day, according to Thessalonica, that he's going to take out of the world the church. And the Holy Spirit, which is con still convicting people. And at that time, you're going to have total, total, Chaos. In fact, the Bible says in the Old Testament that they would be doing this and this and this and all these things would be happening, but they would not repent. They would not repent. They would not repent. They would not repent. And the reason they could not repent is because the Holy Spirit is gone. Because the church is gone. But God has shed his grace on America. How else? Stop and think about this. How else can you explain a ragtag army of businessmen, of laborers, of farmers, etc., who were untrained, being able to defeat a well-trained professional army that was the greatest and most powerful army in the world of that time? We whipped them. The answer, the grace of God. Even today, as much as we have sinned and betrayed God, he's still showing his grace. When our forefathers fled the old world, they came to a land that God had blessed. A land that everyone still today desires to come to. People, you know, people may throw off on us, but they want to come to America. And the way they want to come so bad, we, then we have a major problem. Folks, we're, we're blessed. Now, God does not have and has not shown this favor on grace of America because of anything that we've done. It's not because, it's not because we were more special than anybody else. God shed 
his grace. Not because of the decoration, not because of war, but I believe this. He shed his grace on us because he found men living in America in 1776 that walked with God. You know, historians are trying to change the story, history. Almost all 56 of those men were Christians. I think there were three deists, John Thomas Jeffin being one of them. And a deist didn't mean they weren't, they weren't, they weren't Christians. It meant a deist says they believe in God, but they don't believe God gets involved in the affairs of men. Just a little wrinkle there. Let me share with you some quotes from some of these godly men. And I just picked a few. You can go on and on and on and on. But listen to what Samuel Adams said. There we go. He said in his last will and testament, principalities and first of all, I recommend my soul to that almighty being who gave it and my body I commit to the dust, relying on the merits of Jesus Christ for the pardon of my sins. Patrick Henry, in his last will and testament said, this is all the inheritance I can give to my dear family. The religion of Christ, I can give them one which will make them rich indeed. In his writings, John Quincy Adams stated, my hope of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Christ. And he also stated another time, the hope of a Christian is inseparable from his faith. Whoever believes in the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures must hope that the religion of Jesus Christ shall prevail throughout the earth. George Washington, in his address to the Delaware Indian Nation, said this, You do well to wish to learn our arts and ways of life, and above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. Jacob Broom, most of you may never heard of him, he was a signer of the Constitution, wrote this to his son. Don't forget to be a Christian. We need to remember this 4th of July to thank God for his unmerited, undeserving grace on us and our country and that he has not given up on us yet. Folks, God's grace is sufficient. But you can't really talk about God's grace, his unmerited favor, without talking about God's mercy. If grace is receiving what we don't deserve, then what is mercy? Mercy it literally means compassion or love. In other words, by grace he gives us what we don't deserve, and by mercy, he withholds from us what we do deserve. The word mercy is found in the King James Bible 261 times. Mercy is God's compassion on sin, on sin-riddled humanity. Folks, are there any, any of us in here that don't sin? And yet we have the grace of God. And we have the mercy of God. We deserve to be cast into outer darkness. We deserve to be cast in that lake and fire. We're no better 
than the men of Solomon and Gomorrah. But God's mercy is so great that in Romans 5.8, Paul tells us this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to not be sinners. God loves us. God loves you. He loves me. He loves everybody who lives in this community. He loves everybody who lives in Florida. He loves everybody who lives in the United States. He loves everybody who lives in the world. God's love has no bounds. The problem is, do we love him? That's the question. That's our question. Over in Isaiah 1.9 it says, Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Solomon and Gomorrah. Folks, Solomon and Gomorrah was totally wiped out. Wiped out. No one remained. But because of God's mercy. And I want you to understand something. We are God's remnant. God's people are God's remnant. When you look at the, when you look at the population of the world, Christianity is a very, very small portion. Very small portion. We are God's remnant today. And we're his remnant because he's had grace and he's had mercy on us. We celebrate Independence Day as we celebrate the 4th. I hope it's not about firecrackers. It's not about parades. It's not about all the things the way we celebrate it. I hope that on Wednesday that every one of us will step aside just for a little while and get on our knees or lay on our beds or our couches or like me, stand up. Because if I get down, I can't get up. But take a little time to thank God for his grace, for his mercy, for his church, and the fact that we live in a country that is still one nation under God. Folks, we need to be a grateful people. God has shown his compassion on us. Therefore, we can show our compassion on others. The Gaithers came up with a song years ago. It's one of my favorites. It says, because I am loved, I can risk loving others. Folks, God's people ought to be the most loving, kindest people in the world. We ought to, we ought to be a, a, a grateful people. We are still a nation that God has shown to have mercy and grace upon. Now, here's the question that still comes to my mind. Why has he done that? Why? You look at the news. You read a paper. You watch television. You, have, you listen to people's conversations. And I'm going to tell you, it's scary. 
You just see the practices are going on. And yet God still loves us. So why? Well, I want you to sometimes, I'm going to read it to you, David. Sometimes read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. And I think this is why God is still showing his grace and his mercy on America. It says in verse 12. Let me find verse 12 here. Whoops, whoop, 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 I'm in the wrong chapter. Here you go. And I thank, I thank, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent person, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Let me read that again. That's the key. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Folks, God is shedding his grace and his mercy on us so we might be an example of his love and of his kindness and of his forgiven heart that all who will come will be accepted if they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior I got thinking about this has been on my mind all week I, that's the reason I stood here so long because I did not want to run off on a rabbit or a tangent and you all missed the message I thought about this this week. What other nation? Look at history. What other nation has been attacked? And thousands of their men and women were killed and forced us into a war that we didn't want. And through God's grace and mercy, we won. And then we rebuilt the nation. That attacked us. No nation's done that. What nation in all the world when there's a, a problem, a catastrophe anywhere, that this nation doesn't go and help? Folks, we've had catastrophes. We've had difficulties. I read an article that a Canadian newspaper wrote years ago said, and he mentioned this, he said, America helps everybody. But nobody helps America when they have a tragedy. You know why? Because we still, in many facets, are under the Judeo-Christian ethic. Will we help the fallen? Will we help the downtrodden? I'm proud to be an American. But here's what we've forgotten. And I want to kind of close with this. We have forgotten 
that were one nation made up of, in the, of many nations, and that's our strength. We're made up of many nations with their gifts and abilities, and they come and we become one nation under God. We're one nation working together for the good of all. But we've forgotten that. And this has just been modern time. And let me explain. My background, I'm an Irish. I have an Irish background. My grandfather, I'm third generation. My grandfather came over from Ireland. By the way, he came legally. And he worked from, from, he worked from a time that the Irish were being persecuted. Folks, I don't know if you know that. There was a time the Irishmen could not find a job. They had signs that went the Irish need not apply. But he worked out of that. He went west, had opportunities, built a very successful business. So my heritage is Irish. But my heritage is also Indian. And I used to joke. And I'd say, well, you know, folks, if people had listened to my great, 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 great grandfather, we wouldn't have all these problems. They said, well, what did your grandfather do? He said he stood on that shore with the other Indians and said, let's not let him off the boat. But then I got thinking this week, if, if they had not let us off the boat, I wouldn't be here because I'm here because of an Irishman. You all understand what I'm saying? Now, here's my point. If I say I'm an Irish American, if I say I'm an Indian American, I am putting my heritage before being an American. And when I do that, or anybody does that, I divide myself. I'm not blended. But if I say I'm an American with an Irish Indian heritage, I'm blended. And I come together with others from all nationalities. I've thought about this all week. I prayed about it. I think, you know, I'm not this smart, and I think God gave that to me. We used to blend. We're not blending anymore. And this group's against this group, and this group's against this group, and this philosophy's against this philosophy, and it goes on and on and on. So I hope if you don't get anything else out of this message today, and you know I don't like to preach too hard, but I want you to, I want you to get this. I'm American. I live in America. I need to love all peoples. And as I thought about this this week, I thought of Galatians chapter 3, 28, because this is what I'm trying to teach you is a biblical principle. And in the church... We're blended. Hear what Paul says. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For y'all are one in Christ Jesus. Folks, it don't make any difference where we come from. It makes no difference what our heritage is. It, may, it makes no difference what the color of our skin is. It makes no difference what language you are. In Christ, we're one. And that's the strength of the church.
one of the joys of my life. If God never allows me to do anything else, he allowed me to be part of this. And this is, this is a, what I'm sharing, of, sharing this morning. My pastor, when I was a deacon years ago, asked me to come. And he came and had a meeting with me. He says, Herb, I want you to start a class. He says, we got 40 ladies coming, and none of their husbands come. None of them come. And I want you to start a class and try and reach those 40 men. I'm going to give you a list of all of them. I said, I can do that. I got a buddy of mine. He became my outreach leader. For six to seven weeks, I sat in that class teaching my outreach leader. It was just me, and I taught like I had 100 men, and it was just me and him. He paid one way. He says, Herb, you don't have to give me the whole wagon load. Just a little bit be okay. Finally, after about seven or eight weeks, the first, and we were visiting every week, and we were visiting people on that list. About seven weeks, one man came. Shh! You don't talk about feeling love. We hugged him. We slobbered over him. I mean, it was just, we were so excited. But by the end of the year, we'd reached 30, 30 men. And here's what, here's what I'm excited about. Let's say this was the class. There I had sitting the president of the local bank, one of the wealthiest guys in town. There I had sitting the fella that rode the garbage truck that picked up the cans and dumped them in the back of the garbage truck. There I had a mechanic. There I had a fella that owned the local battery shop. There I had a fella that worked and was a traveling salesman. There I had a guy that was unemployed, but we got, was able to get him a job. And I could go around the room, and I want you to know, in that class, they were all one. They all loved each other. And I told my outreach leader, I said, that's where, that's the church there. There's no, there's no difference. We're all one in Christ. So as I close this message, this year, like no other year, let us stand together. Let's be proud to be Americans. Let us not be apologetic. And let us love everybody. And let us typify through the church what our nation ought to be and what it used to be. One nation under God made, of, made up of all nations but all moving in the same direction and loving one another. And then and only then will America be great again. If you're here this morning and you're not part of the church and you're not part of this fellowship, I want to invite you today. We're going to have an invitation. It all starts, it started for me back in 1966 when Jesus Christ came into my life, changed my life. I'd been bounced around as a kid, been in an orphanage, lived in a boxcar, had my feelings hurt because I couldn't talk. I had a speech impediment. Skinny kid. Biggest hurt, one of the biggest hurts of my life is when I went to school on a Monday morning and found out that every kid in that class, they were all excited about the birthday party they went to on Saturday. I was the only kid in the class that wasn't invited because I lived in a boxcar on the side. Folks, that hurts. And I remember in that orphanage laying 
on my bed at night praying and asking God to give me a family. 1966, God gave me a family. And I've been all over this world. I got brothers and sisters everywhere. I feel so loved. I am loved. Not only by God, but by God's people. And I love God's people. I hope that's been apparent. I love you. That's the church. And if you're here today and you don't feel love and you don't feel like you belong, all you got to do is receive Jesus Christ. And this becomes your family. And the main campus becomes your family. And any Christian in the world becomes your family. But it starts with receiving Christ. So I'm going to pray a prayer. That's what my pastor did at Barlick Baptist Church on November 13, 1966. He just prayed a prayer, and I prayed it with him. And I walked down that aisle, and I talked to one of his deacons, and he re-emphasized and prayed with me again, had me write it down so I never forget it, and it changed my life. You here this morning? You want your life changed? Then pray with me and ask Jesus to save you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that, Lord, that we have the privilege just through prayer of receiving your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and I ask you, Father, that if there's any here tonight, today, that have not received Jesus Christ or don't know for sure that heaven is their home, then, Lord, I pray and I ask you, Father, today, let today be the day of their salvation. And let them just take this simple vow to you. Pray with me if you'd like to. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and he has and has the power to forgive me of my sin. So Jesus, right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to you. And I will follow you all days of my life. Make me the man you want me to be or the woman you want me to be or the child you want me to be. In Jesus' name.